want to see. That's what it is. And you know what? There's a pride and there's a sincerity that comes out of that that truly pleases the heart of God. But uh, I want to say thank you for so many things. I feel like if, if you're really serious about following Jesus, this is what he would say to you. If he were to talk to you, and I feel like I'm out of line, he would say, just show up. Can I tell you something? God knows exactly what he's going to do. He doesn't need you or me to accomplish any of his will. If I say no, he's got five other people down the road that he can use to accomplish anything he wants to do. And if everybody said no, remember what Jesus said, if every tongue were stilled, the rocks and the stones themselves would cry out my praise. They won't, they won't resist. But I'm just saying this. Uh, if you want to be a part of what he's going to do, all you got to do is show up. That's what he asks. Every week, show up. Show up. So I want to say thank you to Ray. I want to say thank you to Julian. Julian's been doing a lot of different things here and there, being a part of it. I want to thank you for Jason, who's constantly on. Uh, you know what? Because we're part of a, a bigger community, we're part of a bigger family. There were two guys from my location that came over here. One of the guys really kind of spearheaded it, a guy named Brad. He's got a thousand cool tools. I'm a guy who likes tools. So he's got, uh, you know, he came out, uh, Mike Walsh, another guy, he's another guy who knows how to accomplish things, and, and you guys all worked together, and you guys really did a great job, because that's why uh, we were able to do it, not to mention with all the people who put in, put in the money, put in the, put in the contribution, sacrifice, and said, hey, this is what God has given me, I'm giving a portion back. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to Jose, wherever he's at, he's back there, he painted the ladies' bathroom. Can I get a amen for the ladies' bathroom? You know, what's always amazing to me is the ladies' bathroom always looks better than the men's bathroom. I'm a little bit chapped about that, not going to lie. You ever go into some places, they got couches, flowers, men's bathrooms, like you're stepping on peanut shells and crazy stuff. So, <laughs> so I just want to say thank you for that. We also want to pray for uh, New Life East Side because it's starting today. The war is getting amped up, folks. Not sure if you're aware of what happened just this very last week. The war, the United States is split. It is ruptured in two, and I'm not joking in any way, shape, or form. It is very serious here, and it's going to get incredibly more serious as we walk forward. It's my belief by 2026, we are going to see some very, very tremendous changes and violent clashes. I don't mean to scare people, but a Christian needs to pay attention. You know, all throughout the scripture, we're told to live in sobriety, not fear, sobriety. That means I recognize, I see what's going on. You know, one of the reasons Jesus complained was he's like, hey, you guys understand, no, you, you know when to go fishing, you know when to plant your crops. You can see by where the sun comes up in the morning, whether it's going to be a hot or a cold day. But you can't tell what time this is right now. The reason they couldn't tell right now is because they didn't want to see Jesus. We could bury our heads in the sand. That's cool. But ultimately, in the end, there's always a cost for doing that. So I just want us to understand that there is... Something happening. And you know what? A Christian, to be in the center of the most safe place, is one that is standing firm. They are standing firm. God is moving us and inching us forward. Society is coming against us. It's not like they're demonic or we're against them or we fight them with rocks and stones. We don't do that. But we stand firm because society is trying to push us back. That's what it's trying to do. It's trying to silence us. But I tell you this, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we have been told that who abides in us is greater than he who abides in the world. That means that there is a ruler of this world that is very strong, 
but he is no match. There is no comparison to the work and the person of the Holy Spirit that is within us. So remember that. Remember that. So let's uh, let's open up our Bibles to the Psalm 22. Psalm 22, because that's what we're going to look at. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for Eastside. We're going to pray for everything and, and just uh, ask for God to just shine. Man, we, I need to see him shine. Father God, I'm, uh, I'm so... Uh, I, I don't even want to use the word humble because it's uh, it's kind of true, but I'm I mean I'm humbled in some ways, but I'm still too prideful in others. But I I am overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by who you are. I'm overwhelmed by your generosity. I'm overwhelmed by your power. I'm overwhelmed by how much you love us and how much you cling to us, Lord God. I, I my love, man, is so limited. It's so limited. Man, I could love people, Lord, you know. I could love people with the fullness of my heart. But, man, I'm quick to feel injury. I'm quick to feel rejection. You feel rejection all the time. And you don't pull back. You don't. You pursue. You push back. You push beyond. Lord, we need you to do that. There are young men and women here, Lord God, that need to hear your call. I said this to someone the other day. When you hear the call of Jesus calling you personally, you come. You cannot resist it. I pray that you would be a caller here today, that you would call us out. And, Lord God, I pray. I pray for whatever you're going to do in new uh, right east side, Lord God. I pray that it would be an abundant day of an upbringing of your, of your spirit in our lives. We pray for salvation. We pray for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Okay, we're going to read Psalm 22 all the way through. It's kind of a little bit longer, but stick with me. And it's really powerful. So if you have your Bible, open it up mid midpoint and read with me. Starts out this way, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groin. Listen, listen to this. Listen to this. My God, my God, I cry out to you day. But you do not answer me. I call out to you by night, and I'm not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Anyone who has ever felt the anguish of soul can connect. Anyone who's felt, anybody, you know, listen, man, if we can't be honest in this place, then forget about being honest anywhere else. Have you ever felt loneliness? Man, sometimes loneliness can be so debilitating that it's like, it's like a, a shawl of death. It weighs you down. And this is, this is what it's about. In, our, in, in you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted in you and you delivered them. They cried out to you and they were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm. I'm not a man. I'm scorned by men. I'm despised by people. All who see me, they mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their head. He trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in God. Yet you brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast upon you. My mother's womb, you have been there. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near me. There is no one with me. There's bulls surrounding me, strong bulls of Bashan. They've encircled me, roaring lions. They're tearing at me like prey, opening their mouths wide against me. I am poured out, listen, like water. You ever feel that, where you're just poured out? You're of anguish of soul. You, man, 
All of my bones, they're out of joint. My heart has turned to wax as it melts away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs, they've surrounded me, a band of evil men. David circled me. They pierced my hands. They pierced my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare at me and gloat over me. They divide my garments amongst them. They cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far from me. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, from the crushing sword, from the power of the dog. Rescue me from the mouth of a lion. Save me from the horn of a wild ox. For I declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all the descendants of Israel. For he did not despise or disdain the suffering of his afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. But he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. I will pour and eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth, remember, have turned to the Lord, all the families of the nations. They will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over all the nations. All the rich earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust, oh, all who go down to the dust will kneel before him. That's a powerful word, man. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Prosperity, that means future. The future will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord because of him. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has accomplished all these things. Man, one of the reasons that we, this is God's word. One of the reasons we praise Jesus Christ the way that we do is because he's accomplished everything. When he was on the cross two weeks ago, I talked to you. His last words were, te telestai, man, paid in full. Everything you came to send me to do, I accomplished. We don't wish, we don't hope, we don't guess. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can say, I'm saved. Well, why are you saved? Because the guy on the middle cross said so. That's it. Who, who are you? Why you? What did you do to deserve to be here? <laughs> Nothing. The guy in the middle cross, he told me. It was him. All right, man. You know, one of the things that I really like, and I think I've told you this before, is I'm a big fan of history. God has spoken to me prophetically. I do not claim to be a prophet, but God has spoken to me prophetically through history. And uh, I could tell you stories. I've even had uh, maybe even an open vision. I don't, I don't know. I don't like to talk about it because I'm not sure, and I don't want to cross lines. But um, I see God speak lar largely about where he's going through history. Let me tell you a story. Julius Caesar, he was the first emperor of Rome. He took the 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th legions across a river called the Rubicon. Why? Because he was going to take over the country. The country was in trouble. It was kind of divided. It was going in a kind of a, like a wandering way, and it was like on a verge of collapse. It was full of corruption. He's like, man, I'm taking over. To cross the river, 
with legions was an act of sedition. So if you did it, now you were a criminal. When he crossed to the other bank, an elder from that town rode out and asked if he could speak to Caesar. Caesar said yes. He approached Caesar, and he pleaded with him. This is an older man, and he says, please, Caesar, great Caesar, cross back over to the other side. I want you to think of the implications. I want you to think of the cost. And Caesar said three words to him. You know what he said? Yakta alea est. You know what that means? I threw the dice. Let them say what they say. Okay? You know what that means? In essence, he was saying, I've crossed the line of no return. Now you have to make a choice. You're either going to have to crown me as king, or you're going to have to kill me. But you cannot do nothing with me. So that's a powerful story, but you think to yourself, what's the point? Who cares? You know, we don't care about Julius Caesar. We're not here for history. But I see Jesus in this very same thing. Jesus, I believe, as I look at his life, he came to cross the line of no return. He's saying, without saying it, I've crossed the line of no return. Now you have to make a choice. So powerful is my statement here. To make no choice is to make a choice. That's the way it works with him. He's like, you know, there was a lot of people who heard him, and they're like, yeah, 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 I, I understand it. I'm not against you, but let me go home, think about it for a little while, and I'll get back to you. And you know what he said? Forget it. Once you walk away, you've made a decision. You know, a lot of people still allows us to walk away and then to come back, but he's kind of cut and dry like that. He's real cut and dry like that. He says to us, to the whole world, to the generations, always until the end of time, either you must crown me as Lord and crown me as Savior and follow me like that is true, or you need to kill me. We can't physically kill him, but you know what we could do? Reject him. It's the same thing. We could say, no thanks, I'm not interested. Jesus is saying to us, I do not give you another option. I like to tell this all the time. You know who I like to tell it to more than anybody? People your age. I, my heart breaks for the young of this age. Breaks. You know why? Because they need to know their worth, man. They need to know why God gave his life. And this world will grab you, snatch you up, and give you a spencer before you even know it. Jesus is not just a good choice. He's a matter of life and death. He's a matter of life and death. That's the line, no return. Jesus isn't just saying, well, follow me was one of many. He's like, either I'm it, or you could go back to death. So either live in the world that I give you, or to the funeral home. It's kind of like, that's why people didn't like him so much. That's why he causes such controversy wherever he goes. Because he's really A or B. He's an A or B guy. He lets you kind of operate in C for a little bit, but there comes an end to that. Jesus explicitly filled 103 messianic prophecies and implicitly filled another 12 prophecies. That's a conservative view. Do you know what some teachers say? That he fulfilled 350, no, 324 prophecies about the Messiah. Well, you're like, wow, that's really cool. But let me tell you why it's cool. To fulfill 48 of the Old Testament prophecies would be one in 10 to the 157th power. They're like, okay, what does that mean? I can't tell you. I don't know. I looked it up. I can't even pronounce the number. But there's a number called the line of probability. 
that means it could be a coincidence or just a chance up to this point, but anything over this point can't be a chance anymore. Jesus stepped over that line five times. He said, that's it. You can't say, well, maybe it was possibly, could be a coincidence. He's saying, I am who I am, and I've proved it to you five times. Now you got to choose. Now you got to choose. He crosses the line of probability. Listen to this one. To fulfill just eight, eight of them is like covering the entire state of Texas with silver dollars, two and a half feet deep, marking one of them, throwing them in the pile, and picking that same one up. It's your first chance. It's beyond possibility. He's proven who he is. He's crossed the line of no return. He's like, I've shown you so vividly who I am. I've shown you so vividly what I've come to do. You have to make a choice. I don't want to make a choice. Tough. Sorry. You got to make a choice. It's just the way it is. Truth demands a decision. It always demands a decision. It is evidence that demands response. No, no, no. It is my opinion. Those who reject Jesus want to reject Jesus. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 tells me clearly. God leaves man without excuse. He's given enough evidence. He's crossed the line. Now I want you to get this as well. He didn't just claim to be a prophet. He didn't just claim to be an earthly king. Listen, he claimed to be the creator and the sustainer of the universe and all that's within it. He said, I don't care if anyone tells you, Jesus didn't tell anyone he was God. He did 13 times. He said, I'm God. You're here because I gave you life. You breathe because they're my lungs. You've got air because it's my oxygen. He said it. Point blank. I'm God. And I want you to recognize and follow me like God or kill me. He leaves that option open. Isn't that crazy? Can I tell you something? When I think about those words, I think to myself, man, this has got implications, got deep. Not just for the person who rejects his claims, but you know what I feel more than anything else? It's got implications for me. You know why? Because I recognize being in relationship with him, sometimes I can say things, think things, or believe things, but act in a way that's very contradictory to the way that I think and speak. Do you do that? I mean... It causes me, it causes me to pause. It causes me to think. Because if I claim to believe in Jesus and not just what I'm comfortable in believing with Jesus, because I could tell you the truth, I could fill this place up by just telling you all the beautiful attributes of God and feel very justified. God is good, let's praise God. Let's talk about all of his wonderful deeds and all these things. I could get you pumped up. But if I withhold some of the uncomfortable stuff, some of the challenge, some of the exhortation, some of the inspection, I'm giving you a half truth. Let me ask you a question. Would you like half truths from your children? Would you like half truths from your husband or your wife? No, you wouldn't. You know why? Because a half truth is as good as a full lie, right? Jesus is like, man, don't sell me like a prod, like a, 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 
Don't sell me like some kind of a product. Bring it to the world. You know, one of the things I feel is the most liberating thing I've ever done in my life is to preach. You know why? I don't have to sell you nothing. I don't have to get you to like me. I want you to like me. But I don't have to get you to like me. If you don't, that's cool. There's a lot of people that don't like you. I mean, you're like, amen, brother. <laughs> I hope you don't dislike me. Never mind. But I want to say this. Jesus could be who he was. And you know what he used to say after every time he talked? You know why? He was a shepherd who had sheep. He knew it from the beginning. He says, my sheep have ears. They hear me and they come. The ones who do not come, they're from another, they're from another flock. It's okay. I don't have to demonize you. I don't have to hate you. I could love you. I could even eat lunch with you. But I don't have to get you to believe in Jesus. All I have to do is bring Jesus to you or bring you to Jesus. One or the other. That's it. If I'm to claim that Jesus is who he is and not who I'm comfortable with, I need to be a person who examines my life. You know what that means? I have to be in relationship with people who help me to examine my life. You know who does that? I'm going to call him out. Julian's the guy who helps me examine my life. You know why? Maybe you'll agree, maybe you won't. I, I think human beings like to operate in a certain comfort of denial. I, I don't like thinking about that stuff. It makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I'd like to have a little bit more positive confidence. And that's cool, man. Let's be positive people, right? But I want to tell you this. If you really want to grow, you got to look at the spot. You know, James said, Jesus is like a mirror. And he shows us who we are. And if I walk away and I keep going back the other way, it's like I looked in the mirror with a big old chunk of banana on my face and forget. And I think, man, don't I look great? And everyone's like, dude, you got a chunk of banana on your face. Jesus is showing us spots. And he doesn't show us like sometimes the world does. The world likes to take our, our, our mistakes and kind of rub our face in. We might have even grown up in homes where we heard that from people. Maybe our mother or our father. You know why men are so screwed up? Because their father used to tell them, not so many words, you're not good enough. You know, my dad was a good dad. He loved to do that. He thought that was the number one motivator in my life. I'm going to tell him he's weak, so he's going to get angry, and he's going to get strong. But Jesus doesn't do that. When he shows us stuff, it's like he's doing it like this. Can it be true? Can I show you? He sits down and looks at us. I wonder why. He gets down on our, on our level. And he goes, can it be true that I'm showing you? This is not good. I made you to glow. I made you to reflect my glory. And this thing is obscuring you. It's killing you. It's weighing you down. Let me remove you. That's what he wants to do. If I'm going to believe in Jesus, if I believe that the, he's crossed the line of no return, I need to be a person who regularly examines my life. I have to be serious about growth. Sundays are great. But they're not, they fall short if I'm not going to be a part of a life group. Well, it's another day, Pastor. I heard from someone the other day, well, I have to get back to my life. You know what I said? For me to live is Christ Jesus and to die, that's gain. You know what? Why does Jesus prompt Paul to say that? Because Paul tried to find life apart from Jesus and all he got was death. 
I can agree with that. I tried to find life. I tried to find purpose. I tried to find fulfillment apart from God. And what I got was frustration and emptiness. Then I find Jesus. Man, my life came out. Is it perfect? No. I'm far from perfect. But I know this. Every time I'm empty, who's there to fill me up? Boom. Every time I fall, there he is. Get back up. Man, he never lets me down. Ever lets me down. Sometimes he'll even let me languish in a very dry place so that I can finally say when he comes to me, are you thirsty yet? Have you ever experienced that one? Yeah. And then he goes, well, I've been here all the time, but I just wanted you to taste that thirst, that thirst a little bit. I have to investigate whether I'm really growing in dependence or whether I'm trusting in Jesus or whether I'm resistant toward dependence, if I'm resistant toward trust. And if I'm with him, who's the great life, he's not going to just show me that I am resistant. He's willing to show me why I'm resistant. See, sin is a crazy thing. Sometimes its roots are not overly stable. Like here, if you're kind of closed off, isolated, critical, and bitter, you know what it could be? Because you grew up being accused all the time. If you're real, like, withdrawn, you're kind of hopeless, you're stingy, okay, very protective, it could be because someone abandoned you at a critical point in your life. I'm saying, if you, you know what, you know what my deal was? I was picked on, picked on when I was little. Uh, wasn't little. I, I, I didn't grow, I didn't grow physically till I was about 16. So I was underdeveloped, man, I got picked on mercilessly. And I felt like, man, I was just kind of like, kind of walked along the wall like a rat. And I felt so worthless, so worthless. And then, bam, one summer, something kicked in. And I started growing. And you know what I was determined? No one's going to make me feel like that again. So you want to step to me? You want to make me feel bad? I'll still feel fear, but that fear will cause me to go, I'm going to hurt you like you're going to hurt me. You understand what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I mean here? It's not overly sinful, but it's something that produces sin. You know, we got to do that. That's what God does in our life. That's what grace, that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus makes things very clear to you and me. Without me, you are hopelessly lost. Without me, you are living without truth. Without me, you walk around in a world without light. And this is a dangerous place to walk without light. Man, they will take your beauty and they will use it. Christ says, you're made in my image. You're treasured with me. I have a future and a plan for you. Better than anything you could produce on your own. That's everyone he speaks to. And only a sheep here? Only a sheep here. The psalm we read today is an intimate look at the passion of Christ. When we think of passion, we usually think of a man with a woman. When I met my wife, I was passionate. I was like, man, that girl is good looking. She was 19 years old, and I was like, man, that girl's good looking. And what do you do when you're passionate for a woman? Guys know, you'll do anything. You'll change things around. You'll move things. You'll be, I, I used to work at Sears. I'd position myself at this, this place right at the back. Because I was security, you know, and she'd walk through that door, and I'd be like this. Oh, fancy meeting you here. I didn't know you'd be coming through this door. How are you today? You know, that's what we do when we're passionate. When we think of the passion of Christ, that's what he did. 
He's like, I know where my beloved's going to walk down. I know where they're going to go to get water, so I'm going to position myself for them here. But it goes just beyond that. When we also think of the Passion of Christ, you know what we think of? That movie. Who saw that movie? I remember when that movie came out. I never saw something so visceral in my life. I never saw something so visceral in my life. But if I add those two things up, you know what I come up with with logic? I think this, at its core, when I talk about Jesus' passion, I can measure the love that God has for me by how willing he was to suffer to rescue me and purchase me back. You know, one of the problems with this world is, and I, I don't mean to be so critical, man, we're so we love pizza. Man, guys say they love their wife. Until they've been married for 30 years and have four kids. And then they find a newer model. People get married and they say, I love you. Until they're broke for five years. We've learned that our love or the love that people have given is contingent on what we're giving back to them. You know what we give to Jesus? think we need him he's perfect himself it's not like god was in you eternity past and said oh my god my life is so empty i need to create a people for myself no 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 he said we are so good and glorious it would be wrong of us god to not create a people to reveal ourselves to we're here for him to show us And when we live in that light, man, something powerful happens. Something powerfully transformational happens. Can I get an amen for that? The physicians tell us that Jesus died of a pericardial ruptured sac. Remember when the Roman soldiers stabbed him on the side and the water came out? That means the sac that protects the heart ruptured. You know what that means? Jesus literally died of a broken heart. A broken heart. His heart was broken over the hatred of mankind. Have you ever loved someone like that? I've loved people like that, where you love them so much and they don't return that love back to you and it kind of hurts you. <laughs> yeah, my sister back there, she's like, I know that one. Man, I'm telling you, it's like it's in your guts. You're like, Ooh. That's the way Jesus died. When we read Psalm 22, this isn't just a recounting of the horrors of crucifixion. You know what it's about? It's about the horrors of being under the full weight of God's wrath. You're like, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Jesus is suffering the wrath of God? Why? He's perfect. He did everything right. Let me explain it to you. First, I want to say this. Rome didn't kill Jesus. They were simply the weapon that was used to kill Jesus. They were the hired hitman. Israel, everybody likes to say the Jews killed Jesus. If they would have come to the Irish, if you would have come to the Irish, they would have killed him. If they would have come to the Puerto Ricans, they would have killed him. If he came to Mexico, they would have killed him. Everyone would have killed him because ultimately he comes to wage war against self-rule. Mankind are very united. You know what you're united on? We like to be in control. Amen? If Jesus says, here, I'm here to wage war against it. Either accept me, surrender, and we could live happily ever after. Kill me. 
kill me. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 53. It tells us that God, the Father himself, sacrificed his son. And it also says, crazily, that he was pleased to do it. He was pleased to sacrifice his son. Why? For you. For you. When I see lackluster responses, anemic responses, anemic churches, where we sit and we watch and observe, but we never get our hands on a plow, it's because they don't know that truth. Jesus, when I see that cross, man, that's my cross. God built that cross for my sin. Jesus took my payment. Why? Because God loved me. And you know, when I was 31 years old, if you would have came up to the street and told me that God loved me, I'd go, no, he doesn't. I'm a drug addict. I have lied, stole, cheated, steal. Man, I have loved nobody but myself from about the age of 14 on. Because I stole my own life. But he does. So much so that he was willing to do that to purchase me to himself. It just doesn't make sense. But that's the truth. And that truth has set me free. I'm going to bring this to connection. Psalm 22. Bring it to connection. There was the first miracle. If anybody remember what the first miracle of Jesus was, it was at a place called Cana. It was a wedding where he uh, was at a family wedding. Let me give you the, the, the context of it. So he's at the family wedding. They got The couple gets married, and it's like maybe day two, day two or maybe day three. It's like a week-long celebration. Mary comes up to Jesus and is like, Jesus, we have a problem. What's the problem, Mike? They're out of wine. That's a big no-no. You know what? You would have done that and that the party was over. Everybody would have left. What do you mean there's no wine? They'd have been like, yeah, there's no wine. They're like, wow, what a cheapskate father this guy was. He would have been shamed forever. They're like, oh, man, I just went to my cousin's wedding. They were out of wine in three days. So Jesus sits back. This is exactly how he did it, how it's, it's told to us he did it. He sat back like this, and he said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come yet. And it's kind of an obscure statement. You're like, what? This doesn't have anything to do with you, Jesus. It's got to do with the wedding. Most scholars and myself believe that he was looking at Psalm 22. He was thinking about his passion that was to come. And the clue is, my hour has not come. When they use the word, the hour or my hour, they're talking about the hour when everything goes dark. Why? Because the presence of God shows up. Remember, it was about the third hour. Jesus is on the cross, and all of a sudden, crowds come out of nowhere, and it goes from dim to dimmer to absolutely dark. They felt sleep that was stinging. They could feel wind that came from nowhere. Why? It was God's holy, righteous judgment on the scene. And everyone was like, I got to go home right now. I can't be in this place because it's making me really scared. And you know what? They all ran. You know who didn't run? Jesus. You know why? He allowed himself to be nailed to a cross so he could stand underneath it. So your judgment doesn't blow me away. Nail me to the cross. And that's where he was, man. 
And that's what he was thinking of in that moment. He was thinking, you're asking me to fill up this jug with water into wine? And I'm telling you something. My hour is coming where I'm going to bring back wine to the people of God. Wine is not just a prop. It really means something. It meant this. The wine symbolizes the joy of God's presence. You know what Israel had? They had a lot of rituals. They had a temple. They had respectability. They had morals. They had structure. You came to Israel, I'm telling you, as an outsider, you'd have been like, man, these people are kind of strange. You know what I mean? They don't do the stuff that we do. You couldn't come in there and go, hey, man, where does a guy like me get a drink in a town like this? You know what they would say? They don't have places like that in Israel. You know, if you were to get into a cab or something or a camel and you go, hey, man, take me to my hotel. Tell me how a guy could have a good time in this town. You know what they'd say? Go to Syria. We don't have that here. But you know what they didn't have in all that morality? They didn't have the presence of God. So you know what happens when you have all that stuff without the presence of God? You get pride in your heart instead of humility. See, what the presence of God was supposed to do was to make them remember that every good thing that they had from God wasn't because they were great. It was because God loved them and was generous. And you know what was supposed to do to them? Make them look at the outsider and go, man, I could have been you just as easily as I knew. Can I invite you out to eat? Can I talk to you about my God? But they didn't. They looked down. They were like, I don't want nothing to do with this guy. Jesus said, I've come to die to make wine so that my people will have the joy of God's presence and it can never run out. It can never run out. Jesus said this. He said, I am like a spring inside the guts of my people and I will gush up into their life and nothing can stop me. You know, I'm a guy who struggles with depression, always have, didn't even know what it was till maybe about Came out eight years ago. I didn't know what it was. Guys don't know what that stuff feels. I just thought I was angry all the time. And I'm just depressed. So one time I was so depressed, it was probably like two and a half years. It literally hurt me. I thought I had to leave my family. I was like, man, it would be better for me to just kind of disappear. And you know what? I know what that feels like. It's this utter loneliness. But even in all of my loneliness that I still struggle with, I'm never going to tell you, come to Jesus, he'll take away everything. Maybe he takes it away. Maybe he doesn't. <laughs> but I tell you what he does do. He promises to stick with me to get me through those times when I'm in the darkest. He promises to stay with me when I feel like, man, I can't take another stroke. I can't take another step. He's like, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. That's what he promises to do. He says, I'm going to stick with you until I get you to my goal. When I get you to the end, then we're all going to rejoice. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to turn my back on you. That's what Jesus offers us. That's what he came to do. I'm sorry I'm preaching so long, but this is powerful stuff, man. Jesus came to earth with complete understanding. He knew exactly what he needed to do. He knew exactly what needed to happen. He knew exactly who he came to save. Nothing's by chance. Jesus doesn't shoot the shotgun of of salvation into the crowd, and whoever gets hit with the buckshot gets saved. It's not like a lottery. Oh my gosh, I won, I won. No, no, no. You were stalked. 
You were picked by him. God chased you down through the days and ages to get you where you are. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 tells me. You are a chosen people from before the beginning of time. Why? I don't know. When you get there, ask them. And you know what he'll say to you? Don't worry about it. You're here. Amen? Jesus knew where he would find you. He knew what your life would look like. You know what? You ever buy something, a used car, and then you get that car, and you realize, man, that car wasn't exactly what it was presented to be. Jesus didn't do that when he went to the cross. He was like, oh, I'm going to buy Thomas Morris. And then he gets Thomas Morris. He's like, wait a minute. Nobody told me this guy was as screwed up as he really is. If I would have known that, I would have never gone to the cross for that guy. I didn't pay for that. Take him back. He's a lemon. You know what he said? Yeah, Thomas Morris, I came for you. I made you. You know what? I allowed you to go in such dysfunction so that when I finally took you out of it, you know what you would learn? There's no love like my love. And it's a powerful thing, man. It's a powerful thing. Jesus started paying the price. I want you to get this from the moment that he entered the womb. He took on a physical body that felt the stress of a teenage mother. Remember this. Listen to this. She had to bear the weight of an unmarried pregnancy. In our day and age, kind of an imposition. It's a little bit something, but we deal with it, right? Back then, there, there was none of that. There was two options for you. Your parents would have got you a bag, said, get your bag, get your stuff, and get out. Or you could have been dragged to the center of the, of the city and hit with stones. Bam, bam. And you know what? The priests, the elders, they would have said, well, if it had to happen, it had to happen. She was pregnant outside of marriage, man. Everybody likes to think she was kind of like this all the time. She was very human. She trusted God. She was leaving. And she felt weight. And you know who else did? Because the baby, you know, your baby feels everything you feel. You get heartburn, they get heartburn. You're excited, they're excited. You're nervous, they're nervous. Jesus felt that weight from the moment he entered into her womb. Listen to this. Mary felt hard looks by the older women that looked at her with contempt. Look at this kid. I would have never been allowed to have a kid like that. Why is she allowed to walk around? She felt her disappointed parents who cried. Mother probably cried every night. How could this have happened to us? She heard the whispers every time that she would go to the well for water. Shh, 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 shh. And then they go, shh, 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 shh. here she comes, don't speak up. She heard that stuff. Has anybody ever heard those whispers before? What'd they make you feel like? Oh, man, it's like a dagger. It plays in your head over and over and over. It stalks you. This was what that girl felt. And you know who else felt it? Baby Jesus. Baby Jesus. He felt his mother's tears. He felt her worries. When Jesus came out of the womb, it didn't end there. He allowed himself to be pinned with the stigma of being an illegitimate child. And everyone who hated him used to say, who are you to tell us who's legitimate and who's 
You're not holy. Your mother probably did something she shouldn't have done. And you are the product of sin. He allowed himself to feel that. Why? For you. So that when you, as his children, could go, man, I feel alone. Him going, man, I'm right with you. I feel betrayed. You go, man, I'm in here. No, man, I, I feel like I'm a disappointment. No, that's what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 4, that he's such a good high priest, so perfectly suited for it, that he beckons us and he says, man, I know your pain because I chose to live it so that you could always have me. I feel like I'm being cheated. 33 years he felt cheated. Jesus goes, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're feeling. His feet hurt from walking on stone-covered ground. He felt blisters. His muscles ached. He felt fatigues. He cried over insult. Jesus cried over loss. The manna from heaven felt hunger to the point of dizziness and nausea. And the water that would never, ever dry up felt what it was like to be utterly thirsty. In the psalm we read, he would feel thirst so bad that his tongue would stick to the roof of his mouth. For who? For me. Why? So that I could go, what a wretched I am? No. So that when the devil comes to me and says, God don't love you. You've always been a worthless failure. And I've heard those words. You know what I could say? Jesus loves me no matter what he says. How do you know? How could God love you? This is powerful stuff, and if you allow it to penetrate your heart, you will be utterly transformed. Nothing will be on the pale. Nothing will be too far. Psalm 22 starts with a cry, and this is what it is. My God, my God, shows me two things. It shows you the depth of the intimacy that he shared with his father. It shows you and me the depth of expression of anguish. He felt this aching, this utter aching, and he was like, my bones are being crushed under the weight of your judgment. Why? For love's sake. When he cries out, my God, my God, he's saying, I am crying out to the one whose love is the core and weight of my life. I am feeling a pain that only you can release. Only you can make go away. But when he called out, you know what he got? Nothing. Why are you so far from my rescue? Here's what he says. Think about that statement for two minutes. In payment for all of Jesus' perfect devotion, love, and obedience, what does he receive from his father? Punishment. It's one thing to be punished for the things you did. Like the, the other guy. Remember that guy on the cross? He was like, hey, man, why are you harassing that guy? He did it. This is what we get. But he didn't do nothing. But he got it all. He got it all. I want us to get this for a minute because it's a powerful truth. 
Jesus willingly sacrificed so that you and I live. Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit made a transaction on the cross. He took our betrayal toward God, put it on Jesus, and then he took his perfect obedience and devotion and gave it to us. It was a switchover. It's a holy transaction. Now you and I are here because we've been invited and paid to be here. It's a payment. There was a ticket that needed to be paid. And God said, here it is. I bought it. It's yours. And no one can take it from you. That means if I've been a part of the church forever, my father was an elder and a, and a pastor, I can look at a prostitute that comes in and I have no right to say to that person, what are you doing here? You know why? Because her and me invited in because the guy on the middle cross said so. This is where we end. God the Father poured out the fullness of hell on his son. This is what those who reject Jesus Christ can feel. First, he felt the extreme confusion of abandonment. Those who reject Jesus will wake up after their last death and you know their last breath. You know what they will think? How, how, how did I get here? How, 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 did, how did I get here? How, how is this it? After all the good things I did, after all the things I had, I don't have it no more. What, what happened? They're going to be utterly confused forever. Jesus felt this. Jesus felt the hopelessness of being utterly alone. Have you felt the hopelessness of being utterly alone? Because I have. And even though it wasn't true, he felt it. He felt utterly alone. Why are you so far away from me? God the Father didn't just pull back. You know what God the Father did? As Jesus was being poured out, he went like this. Did he cry? Oh, he cried. It was his son. But he said, you have to pay this because my people have to come. Price has to be paid. You're buying them from me. Why? Because we love you. Jesus felt the strength of his life being sucked from his soul. Jesus felt coming apart. The coming apart of his being. He was literally being pulled apart. He said, my bones are out of joint. Jesus felt that he was turned over to the full hatred of man. God said, you know, what? one of the punishments that you get here, and this is what we're going to start seeing in the United States, God says man is sinful at its core. We like to believe we're basically good, but the Bible tells us clearly that we're broken. We're broken and sinful. The truth of the matter is, but how is there all these good things? You know why? Because God is graceful, even to those who are rejecting him, and he has a boundary. He pulls his hand and he restrains them. But I assure you, what Jesus has showed me is that the time is coming where he will go heaven when jesus died on that cross what they did to him that was god saying to his people israel that was rejecting the salvation before him okay do what you want to do they did horrible things to jesus they did horrible things to him so god the father turned over the son to these things he was stripped and displayed as a spectacle to the whole world that would give him no pity they would find no sympathy in their hearts for him but this is where it all changes. This is where we could go, this is great, this is awesome. Because all of this was for a point. He traveled down this terrible valley. He felt this weight, this pain, all this agony for love's sake for a people who honestly could never love him even a quarter of how much he loves them. Let's just be honest. Man, I love Jesus. I love him. 
Is there any comparison? Man, I'd like to believe there is. I hope I grow in it. But come on, man. But what did he do? This is what he did. In Isaiah 53, 10 and 11, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Though the Lord made his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. It is the will of the Lord, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he had suffered, he will see the light of life. That means God is going to accomplish beautiful things in your life. He's going to bring stability in your home. He's going to bring depth and beauty of character. He is going to use you as a conduit and an arm to accomplish glorious things upon the earth. And at the end of time, you could be a CEO, have all the world and all its prizes, or you can follow his will by grace. And you'll measure the two and you'll go, how could anyone think that this was what it was? Because this is the true reward. And you know what? You'll feel it. Anything you give up, he's promising you. You'll get 100% what you've given away. You give up this for this, and I'll give you a hundredfold more. This is where it ends, super quick. We'll bring the worship team up. After Jesus has suffered for a short time, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by the knowledge of his righteousness. The righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. That never changes. You know what? You could follow Jesus for 30 seconds or 30 years. You know what 30 years following Christ does? You know what your holiness means? It doesn't mean that you need salvation less. You realize how much more you need as you walk with his holiness. 30 years doesn't make me holy. My holiness is a reflection of his holiness. It's him touching me. And that produces poorness of spirit, mourning hearts, and a meek heart. And that's a beautiful blessing. Let's stand up. As they start to play just a few instrumentals, get our minds ready. I think this is the place where we need to say, Jesus, I need to know a love that has no bounds better. Because ultimately, I want to reflect that love I want to love my husband or my wife, my brother, my sister my mother, I want to love my kids, I want to love my neighbor that plays music way too loud just like that I want to love that person at church that's a real jerk I want to love my pastor who kind of stubs my toe all the time Lord God I don't want to hold back from you but I know this, it's not by making me feel like I fail that it's going to happen. It's by knowing your love better. Lord, if I fail you, and I know I have, you got to help me repent. I'm just saying this. If there's someone that you need to apologize to or someone you need to make amends to, talk it out with one of the sisters here or one of the brothers here. Pray, pray together that God will give you the strength to do it. Man, you know how this world is. Something could happen 15 years ago at a Christmas party, and you had never let it go. God says, don't do that. 
Watch me for you and do for me. If there's something you're stuck with and you can't get away from because it's got its hand on you, and that happens to human beings, talk to Julie about it. Man, there's a place, there's a group, there's a people that God has assembled that is serious about freedom. That's where repentance is. This bread represents everything I talked about. From the moment you came into that little womb, that 16-year-old womb, you started paying the price for me. You know what, Lord God? I pray that I would never be able to take that love for granted. I pray that we would be a group of people. I don't care if there's 25 of us or 500 of us that would be so committed to knowing your love and loving each other that, man, we would feel overwhelmed by your presence here. That every time we came in, we would rush in. We would rush in. We would say no to other stuff that's good but not good as this. Lord God, I want you to get it all because I know what you have for us is better than us. Lord, you get it all. And then you allowed your flesh to be torn so that we could live in the presence of that glory every single day. We take this in Jesus' name. said to other people we love them and we have heard it from other people and you know I'm not I'm not copping a plate but we've fallen short and they've fallen short we have limits but you prove to us you don't have a limit you prove that you are willing to do anything everything to save us even allow Grace, what have you done? You murdered for me on that cross. Accused and absence of wrong. 
said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The cross makes no sense to the world that is dying. 
It makes no sense to those who are already in their grave. But to those who have been given life, to the elect, to the chosen, it's literally their call to life. And no matter how, how many times they hear it, it's precious each and every time. Lord, we pray that we would be a place to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord God, that this would be a place where we would put our hands in your service to disciple people and show them the way of salvation, being obedient to you, showing them the glory and the wonder and the goodness of being under your command. Lord, if there is anybody here, Lord God, that wants to move forward, let them come forward today. Today. Today is the day you have crossed the line of no return. Lord God, we want to live like that. So free, so free from the fear of losing whatever this world has promised us. Because what we have in you far outseeds it. So Lord God, we pray these things and we praise you because of them. In Jesus' name, all of us say in Jesus' name, amen. Go love people, man.